Hi friends, welcome to Bar of the Conference. I'm your host, Derek Scott III. In this episode, I'm speaking with Simon Osamlana. Simon is an elder in the Florida Conference. He was born, raised, and educated in Nigeria where he began his ministry. He then spent some time in North Carolina before coming to Florida. Now Simon and I have served on a few boards together and we just returned from a trip to Israel-Palestine. In fact, we attempted to record this episode in Jerusalem, but we just couldn't get the technology to cooperate. But y'all, I'm so glad that we got this interview recorded. There is so much to learn, but Simon is one of the best teachers I know. Now, while Simon is not a general conference delegate, he is a leader in the Florida Conference and a voice that I think all of us in the United Methodist Church need to listen to. So in this episode, Simon shares about growing up in Nigeria, serving churches in Florida, and he candidly offers his take on this current moment in our denomination, and even gives us his thoughts on those who are seeking to divide the denomination. Simon speaks for Simon, but he also brings the gospel in this beautiful way. And y'all, he gets in a little bit of preaching too. I was challenged by this conversation, and I think you'll be stretched by it as well. So as always, grab a notebook, a choice beverage, and enjoy this episode with Simon Osamana. Hello, Simon. How you doing? I'm doing great. Well, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing quite well. Uh, so we tried to record this episode while we were in Israel Palestine. Uh, I think we were in Jerusalem actually the mm. day that we tried to record it, and the internet would just would not cooperate, and um, <laughs> so we decided to just push pause um, and and pick it back up when we got back to the states, which has only been a few days. So absolutely, um, <laughs> but um, I, I I'm pretty sure I said it last time, and I'll just reiterate it here. I just have deep respect for you, um, that your story your witness, your leadership. And um, I've been watching it for years um, as you've been moving throughout the Florida Conference in different leadership roles um, and and cheered for you when we found out that you were gonna become a district superintendent um, for the next appointment year. But then I got to spend a lot of time with you while we were in the Holy Land and it just confirmed and like, enhanced all the things that I was that I thought about in your regard. And so I'm just really grateful that you're willing to come on this episode and, and speak to us. So um, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about growing up as as a, a kid in Nigeria, in Nigeria, um, in the Methodist Church of Nigeria. And actually, we just start there because you taught me something and, and I want to make sure people get it there is not just one Methodist presence in Nigeria. So could you help us get a sense of just Methodism in the country of Nigeria real quick? 
Thank you so much, Derek. I truly, truly appreciate uh, all your compliments. And uh, actually, I uh, watched you myself, uh, you know, from uh, being a youth to being an adult leader who is doing, you know, amazing things. I think our first encounter was through Celebrate Jesus. And uh, you are much younger back back then. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a minute. It's been yeah, a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, to see you now grow and grow to become uh, one of uh, the key leaders in our conference, it, it's just amazing. And not just in the conference here, uh, Florida, but throughout the connection. Uh, that's truly a testament to, to your faith, to, to your commitment to the Lord. And... Uh, to your witness as a, as a leader. Um, so thank you so much for having me on. Now, yeah, thank you. back to uh, Nigeria, yeah. uh, growing up uh, in Nigeria, I grew up in the Methodist Church, Nigeria. And as we've talked about it before, there are four types of Methodism in Nigeria. One is the Methodist Church, Nigeria, which was introduced uh, through the Methodist Church Britain. And Methodist Church Britain uh, sent a missionary, um, Thomas Batch Freeman, in 1842. And that was the first successful missionary venture in Nigeria. And the amalgamation of the primitive Methodists that came through the eastern part of Nigeria and the Methodist church that came through the western part of Nigeria from what we today call Methodist Church Nigeria. It's the largest Methodist presence in Nigeria. There is also the uh, African Methodist, um, uh, African Methodist Episcopal, uh, in Nigeria. There is also uh, a little fragment of uh, um, primitive Methodists that still exist, uh, but uh, I think second to the largest will be the United Methodists, which only exists uh, in the northern part of Nigeria. And uh, so that is uh, the four strands of Methodism in Nigeria today. Now, growing up uh, in the Methodist Church Nigeria, uh, I grew up in a small town. And in this very small town, we went to church twice every single day. You were telling me about this, and yeah. I was so <laughs> captured by this idea. <laughs> you went to church every morning, and then every, also, every morning by 6, 6.30, we are gathered in the church for prayer. Mm. And everybody, you know, would go back home, have their breakfast. We went to school. Our parents went to whatever job they were doing. 7 p.m. every evening, everybody returned back to the church to give thanks to God for the successful day. And we did that every single day on Sunday we gather, worship at 10 a.m., and then we go back for evening service at 5 p.m. So, um, and there was no skipping church. <laughs> 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 
even even when I cried through my my dad would not let me skip church, you know. Wow. So because we have to remember whatever it is that whoever preached that day, you know, preached on, we have to be able to rehearse part of those sermon uh, yeah. while we are eating. If you don't, then uh, you know you, there are consequences. <laughs> Gosh, man! I just so I, I I you were telling me about this, and I was so captured by this idea. And I grew up in a similar uh, church context, not exactly the same. Work we weren't going twice a day, mm -hmm. um, but um, and so this is the the kind of context where you were nurtured and you heard your call to ministry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your call to ministry and, and how that was sort of, sort of inspired, encouraged in the spaces that you grew up in? Yeah, so um, when when I was young, really, uh, the last thing that was on my mind was becoming a clergy. Uh, number one, I look at those clergy because the clergy in Nigeria, they wear what we call cassock. It's a white cassock. And... They wear that every time I see them, and I thought that represent holiness, that they are so holy uh, that I just can't see myself that pure, that holy, and uh, you know, be in the same road with them. So uh, that was not even on my mind. Um, I remember that every pastor that comes into a little town, uh, the first food they eat was going to be from my mom. And my mom cooked for every single one of them. Not she wasn't cooking uh, for them because she was getting paid. No, she was just, uh, she just believed you need to do that for men or women of God. Uh, when they're going, um, if whatever my dad has on the farm, they're they going with it, you know, back to wherever they have come from. So, in, in my home, uh, I grew up knowing that they take care of pastors. And for, but for me to be a pastor was just not something that was ever on my mind. I wanted to be a medical doctor. And I went to uh, the, the system that we had back then is you are logged in. As you graduate from high school, you log into, if you want to go to the university to become a a medical doctor, you go through the medical line. You want to be a lawyer, you go to pre-law. If you want to go, you know, so different routes. And the principal of my school had about seven or eight of us that he will put extra effort at training and coaching and mathematics and physics and chemistry, biology and all those kind of things so that we, uh, According to him, he looked at us as the sign of success for his teaching career. And we graduated, and I was writing exams to get into the university, and the call was just very clear. Um, and something led to that, actually, because the December of 1985, I went back to the small town where I grew up uh, to have, uh, you know, uh, just good time with uh, my dad and mom um, because they only come to the city whenever they want to 
sell their products and something like that, but they stayed mostly on the farm. And um, I went back and a group came from our Methodist church uh, from, the, from the city. That, that was the church, that was my home church. And they came to have a weekend revival. I reluctantly went there with a friend of mine because I knew these people and there was nothing else they want to preach that I, in my mind, that will be new to me. So, but because there was nothing else going on back in the day, there was no TV, there was nothing going on other than we play, we play soccer, we do whatever. And then there was nothing to do that evening. So I told my friend, just let's go and, and sit in the church and listen to them. But that was what began the journey, new journey for me. And as this woman was, you know, retelling the, the story of the birth of Christ, something struck in my soul uh, that was totally different than what has ever happened before. And my friend was looking at me, I was totally quiet. And uh, he said, I hope you're not going to join one of these uh, people. I said, I said, no, 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 no. But something was going on. And I went home that night. I couldn't go to bed. I, I, I was praying, find myself praying, uh, really, truly praying for the first time. And it really continued. And I said, you know, when I get back to town, I have to check these people out. Um, I really didn't like them, but what I had tonight seems to, to start something new in me. And that was a new journey. That was a new experience. Wow. And um, um, so now I began to read the Bible, not only for to pass a school test, but I was now reading the Bible for um, purposes of meditation. Mm. And I started to dig into the Bible more and more and more and more. The more I read the Bible, the more I started to feel the presence of God. Mm. And now I started to hear God speak to me. I want you to go and teach people my word. I want you to be a preacher. And um, I started to doubt myself, uh, all those childhood things thinking, you know, you're not good enough, you're not perfect enough, all those kind of things started to come back in real time. And then I spoke to some people and said, this is something strange. This is what I seem to be hearing in my head and it's not leaving me. And they say, you know, so you just knowing that? <laughs> I said, I said, what do you mean? They said, oh, we've seen the call of God on you. You can't run from it. Mm. So then I went to uh, another, you know, brother of mine who I know he was very close to the Lord. And he said, yeah, I've been knowing that for a long time. I just want you to, to get to know that yourself. I said, so then I went to the, to the senior pastor of our of our church i'm talking of uh, at that time we had more than three thousand people in worship so uh, to be able to get close to him was really even uh, but he adopted me i became so close to him and he told me he said trust me the very first day i set my eye on you on the in the choir i know that you are going to be uh, a minister and uh, but all of those, to be honest with you, um, didn't really 
confirm the whole thing for me. As I can continue to pray and I served as the local pastor, then I went to the seminary. While I was in the seminary, then they invited me to come and preach at my home church. Like I told you, it's a large church. And I, you know, we have this uh, pulpit that you have to climb up to the pulpit. And so you can see everybody. <laughs> and this, you do have that. It's a mobile, I mean, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's a, a kind of stationary pulpit hmm. made, made out of marble. And, oh, wow. uh, and then you, you it's, it's really, really, you know, uh, nice. But then uh, the principal of my high school, who spent all the time teaching us all the sciences so I can go to medical school, he was the only one human being. I was so afraid. I don't want to ever see him because I thought I have wasted all his time. Wow, if I yeah. knew I was going to read the Bible and, you know, just be a pastor, <laughs> why did I waste this man's time? Mm -hmm. So I said, well, I probably would never see him. He is a Baptist uh, man. So um, I didn't think I would ever get to see him ever again. So, and uh, that Sunday, as I climbed the pulpit, I locked eye with him straight on. Wow. And I started, uh, I was so nervous. I didn't even mm. know whether I was going to be able to preach because I was so scared that he was he was going to be so disappointed in me. Mm. Um, but anyway, I saw him smiling and happy, and and he was never someone who who smiled like that. But anyway, I just decided, okay, I'm not going to look away from him. I'm going to preach this sermon, and I'm going to get down which I did, <laughs> but then I promised myself as soon as the service is over, I'm going to run away. So he would never <laughs> see me. But as I was trying to run away, for whatever reason, he had guessed where I would uh, be escaping through, he was right there. And I, I turned right back and he grabbed me. <laughs> and he lifted me and he said you made me proud if i have not seen any one of you succeed that i hear you preach today that is the joy of my career that is the joy of my teaching teaching uh, career and he was thanking me i was thanking him and i left the place saying lord now i know you actually called me the cause of wow. this man and uh, Anyway, that longer show. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's wild. And I resonate so much with that story. <laughs> well, so you start out in the Methodist Church of Nigeria mm -hmm. and uh, growing uh, as a leader and a pastor in that space. And then you and your family set your sights towards the United States. What, yeah. what got you from Nigeria to the States? Well, um, so the same city where I grew up, uh, where I went to elementary school, went to high school, went to college, seminary, did, uh, you know, the master's degree, the same place they offered me to start my PhD. And at the time I was applying for the PhD, then I applied to only one school in the United States because it was something I just, 
thought it's a good idea to try to study somewhere else. But then they offered me admission for to start my PhD in Nigeria. And they offered me admission at Wake Forest to do a Master of Divinity. And my uh, one of my professors said, if you are not dumb, you, you're not going to abandon a PhD to go for a Master of Divinity, would you? I said, I guess I'm dumb. <laughs> Because that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to abandon this PhD and I'm going to go there because I wanted a change of environment. I wanted a change of um, culture. I wanted to be to be immersed in a different culture, to, to see other parts of the world. Mm. And that uh, I, at the time I was teaching uh, in the seminary, actually, and I was uh, pastoring the church uh in the seminary which is an ecumenical church uh, it's, uh we have uh, methodist we have uh, anglican we are baptist we have different denominations that mm -hmm. that are part of that uh, but majorly uh, methodist and um anglican yeah and and so um i i was the pastor there and have access to so many things and it, it was you know out of a choice to say, you know, I want to see the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I did because uh, once I set my eye on the United States, I just love it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's totally different. And yeah. even now, to be honest, I'm grateful every single day because Nigeria has gone from uh, what it used to be where at least you have a hope, you have, you know, job, you have. It, it, the way it is right now is in a very, very bad shape. Hmm. And to be able to raise my children here in the United States, uh, to be able to, you know, do ministry here and be able to travel different parts of the world to, hmm. you know, be able to afford that and preach and, and you know, visit churches and uh, hold revivals in different hmm. uh, parts of the world. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I were to be in Nigeria. That is yeah. the that is the God truth, and uh, uh, so, but it was initially, you know, out of curiosity, I want to see what is on the other side of the ocean. Uh, I want to go some some other places. I don't just want to live my life in this one place. Uh, I I just want to see the world, mm -hmm. and it turned out to be a place where. God will really truly bless me, and uh, um, when I came and uh, you know came to Florida and uh, well, well, not, yeah, let's not get to Florida just yet. Let's let's because mm -hmm. uh, I think there's some good stuff in, and and I'll just mm -hmm. say I'm grateful that you uh, came to the United States. I think many of us are grateful that you came to the U.S. Thank you. And and it, it, do I understand it correctly? It's when you were here at Wake Forest that you began to begin your involvement, I guess, with the United Methodist Church. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? That's actually correct. Yeah. Um, so of course we had some um, missionaries that came to Nigeria and I have friendship with them, but it, it, we, we had ministries together in Nigeria, but that was it. I really did not know anything about United Methodists until I got to Wake Forest and then I started to explore, you know, different uh, churches and pastors and, and just make myself uh, uh, available and preach in, in various, uh, you know, United Methodist churches 
mm-hmm. which was truly, truly, you know, a blessing. Yeah. So from North Carolina, you get to Florida. How 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 does the 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 journey bring you down to the great state, <laughs> <laughs> the great state of Florida? <laughs> it is really truly um, uh, a journey. So um, I. I was actually sharing this story with a friend last night. Um, one of uh, the things that I've never done uh, in my life was uh, clinical pastoral education. And when I heard about it, it, it totally fascinated me. And I applied in North Carolina Baptist uh, Hospital. And um, they were, wanting me to do it for a whole semester the first unit so i decided no because at the time you know i had to work i, I was a student and it was just too much for me to carry and i thought well maybe i won't be able to ever do this and um, i saw the one of the supervisors uh, for the program who is also he was one of uh, the adjunct professor at Wake Forest, uh, Dr. Jensen. And so he told me, he said, Simon, we want you in this program and uh, we know that the finance will be a challenge for you. So we've been able to find scholarship for you. And instead of doing it through the, uh, throughout the semester, you can do it during the summer. Uh, How about that? I said, thank you very much. Now, what he didn't know that my plan, that was my last, uh, summer, um, and uh, what he didn't know that was that all my plan was to find something to do so I can pay a bill. And at the, that moment, um, it's either if I do not have an employer to to file for me, extend my my visa, I will. Be, I was planning on returning home, and um, so. But my I have my visa that extended through to the end of summer. And so he told me, he said, um, uh, you do it through the summer, won't you? I said, well, we shall see. Well, I share with uh, an adoptive uh, parent and uh, the only reason why you know they are not my actual parents is because our skin color uh, is totally different. But um, so we will just talk one day and it wasn't much of a big talk. And I probably have mentioned to them that uh, this was a program I intended to do in the summer, but I probably won't do it. Uh, so then I graduated from Wake Forest, and that uh, following summer, um, Dr. Jensen was writing me, calling me, and I f- almost finally said to him, I'm sorry, I won't come. And then my um, adopted dad said, so what are you planning to do this summer? I said, I'm going to find, a, you know, do the work, the job that I'm doing and get some money uh, because I don't know what next. And um, so he said, um, well, you told me about uh, something you are going to do about this. I said, don't forget, don't forget about that one because uh, that will require some money. Anyway, he and his wife, they said, well, calculate all that you would have made, every expenses that you will need to make throughout the summer and we pay you so you can attend that program and that's what they did so i finished that uh, first unit and then 
um, I applied for uh, residency. Everywhere I applied to rejected me, except one place. <clears throat> that one place was in Washington, D.C. And they held on and held on and held on. And on the last day, they finally wrote me. And I thought everything was really going great with that. They finally wrote me to say, no, we have already um, gotten somebody else to fill that position. I mean, it is totally related to immigration because at that time, a lot of people were afraid to get into immigration to help anybody. Um, so I was totally devastated. I honestly didn't want to cry in front of my wife and children. I got in my car, drove behind the apartment. Uh, it wasn't, it was like a one minute thing. I could walk it, but uh, I wanted a private place where I could cry really. So I went in there into my car and I cried and I prayed to God. And I said, so number one, it's, it's terrible when you feel rejected. Every place where I applied to rejected me. And so what is it? Is there something wrong with me? Is this? I, I just prayed to God. And then I had peace after I've emptied my, my mind to God. I came back home. As I was getting back into my apartment, opening the front door and setting my foot inside the, the apartment, my landline phone rang. And I was debating whether I should pick the phone or not because I was really um, honestly depressed. Uh, I didn't want to talk to anybody. And my wife said, well, maybe you need to answer that phone and see. So I reached out to it and I picked the phone and it was the, uh, the director of the program, uh, um, Orlando, uh, well, at Florida Hospital, now called the Adventist Health. So he called and I was, he said, this is Wes. And I was thinking, so why are you calling me? You already rejected me, you know? <laughs> and he said, uh, is that Simon? I said, yeah, this is Simon. He said, um, are you still available? I said, what do you mean? He said, somebody, I just dropped the phone with somebody who just stepped out of that program right now. And you are next on my on my uh, list, and I want to reach out to you. Are you still available? I said yes. And he said, "So when can you come?" I said, "Tomorrow." I didn't even know where Florida was. <laughs> I've never been to Florida. I said yes. He said, um, "Oh, are you available? You are available. You can come tomorrow." I said, "No, not tomorrow." <laughs> So now I decided, you know, uh, to plan my journey. So I came down to Florida and that was really how I ended up in Florida. And while I was in Florida at the Florida Hospital, now Adventist Health, during my um, CPE residency, um, the, the, I was attending, my wife and I were attending community United Methodist Church in Casabel and um, uh, Nick, Thompson was the senior pastor there. We became a really good friend. And he said, you know, I've got to introduce you to 
uh, superintendent. He had had me preach for him uh, a few times, and he said, I, I think the superintendent ought to know you. So I just got a call from one day, and that was Jeff Stiggins, and he invited me to his office. And then he, the second time, he said, can you bring your, your resume? Let me just take a look. I say, you know, um, I'm not really looking for anything, just uh, to be part of the conference, that's all. And when he looked at it, he said, oh, you know what? I have to share this with uh, the conference office. <laughs> so, so then I got a call from uh, Chuck Weaver. And Chuck was like, oh, Simon, we, we truly need you here. I said, I said um, well, Chuck, thank you so much. I, you know, I need a home myself. And, uh, and then you know, United Methodist Church in Florida became home for me. And um, when I was, you know, he was like, when finally they were going to appoint me to, to a church, um, which I was very reluctant because I was working full time for Vitas at the time. Everything seems to be going well. And uh, uh, in fact, I just bought a new house. It, the day I closed on that house, then Jeff Stegen called me from my appointed cabinet and said, the bishop wants you to serve a church in Fort Lauderdale. I said, I don't even ever know where Fort Lauderdale or anything is, or apparently not. So, but anyway, that was my journey into Florida and mm -hmm. into the United Methodist Church in Florida. It, it's, uh, um, and I need to, to say this, that uh, I'm, I'm here today, my my wife, my children, we are all doing, you know, great things and we are very happy. And the credit I give to God, that God has made use of uh, the Methodist Church, uh, the, the United Methodist Church in Florida Conference to truly be a blessing. Because at the time, um, you have to have somebody to sponsor your uh, immigration mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. and the and the conference stood by me uh, Chuck Weaver will stay in the office till uh, 4 or 5 p.m. just to attend to folks from uh, Homeland Security uh, um, who are trying to get to know whether you know this individual is somebody I, I mean he gave everything to it hmm. and um, uh, i just couldn't be any more grateful uh, for what the united methodist church has meant for me and represented uh, in my life and, and for my family so um, i have to really say that to be honest with you uh, because i think people need to know that this conference uh, is has done a lot of good hmm. uh, for a lot of people Wow. Oh, <laughs> that whole arc <laughs> of just your journey and which doors are opening up and, and the doors uh, that mm -hmm. close unexpectedly mm -hmm. and yet experiencing God's leadership in your life and, and, and you know, just you know, even where you are now um, mm. and, and just that you've, you've served here in our conference. I'm curious, what's, not many of us in, in United Methodism get to say that we have served uh, 
churches in multiple countries or multiple continents, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. and so we we know that there is a context that is the United States, and there's a context mm -hmm. that is Nigeria. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, not to like really compare them, but I'm wondering what's what's really great about being here, and I think you said a lot about that. Mm -hmm. What's what's maybe hard about being in the United States and being in ministry in this context, as opposed to when you were in Nigeria? Well, um, I, I think um, it's ministry here in the United States is a little uh, different than most other places, especially uh, from Nigeria and many African countries. Um, ministry in Nigeria and in most of the African countries, um, you you have a lot of people that that are actually seeking the Lord, and so pastors, you, you, you really if if you you know what you you who are called you, and you are really into ministry, it is not as difficult as um you know preaching in a place where people will flock to to, to the church and i mean uh we used to have a program in in nigeria you know for the methodists and they still do have it where you have twenty thousand people gathered together just to worship god and and to be challenged in the word of God and, and be fired up and everybody go home. And, uh, you know, we, we will go for, um, you know, revivals. And uh, at the end of the revival, we have new church will we'll start and things like that. Wow. Uh, it is difficult here. <laughs> it, <laughs> is, it is really difficult here. here. You almost have to beg people to come to church. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and when they come to church, uh, if the sermon is too hard, people say, "Well, you know, don't I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to do that because uh, you know you you almost have to to just kind of be gentle. The, the <laughs> it, it's it's totally different, you know, in yeah. that regard." And, and I think also is because of the wealth uh, of this mm. country. Uh, it, it really limits uh, how much dependence that people have on God. Mm. Uh, because if I already have everything I need, so so what is prayer? So what is faith? Mm. So what is, but you see in a place where people don't even know where the next meal will come from, mm. they trust God. Yeah, where people are sick and they don't know whether they're going to be able to pay hospital bill, they trust God. Mm. Um, it, it's so it, it's it's thank God for the affluence of this country. I'm really grateful for it. <laughs> but, but at the same time, uh, ministry is totally different. Yeah, wow, that that's such a huge point. Both just thinking about what gets people in the door. Mm -hmm. of, of a church and the differences in the context. But I think also, as we think about the United Methodist Church, mm -hmm. our global movement of United Methodists. Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes I will say to people, you'll never walk into the same Methodist church twice. You'll never meet the same Methodist twice. 
I think that really is important as we think about our connection to those who are outside of the United States. Mm. And literally the, the things that get United Methodists in the door in the United States are vastly different for what gets United Methodists in Nigeria through the door. Absolutely um, true. So with that, you have served in spaces that are predominantly Black, mm-hmm. and I would say Black American, mm-hmm. African American, mm-hmm. and also you've served in some contexts that are predominantly White American. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's, what's, what's that been like for you, sir, um, <laughs> in, in these different, again, different contexts and yeah. different things get people through the door and there's definitely an affluence conversation between mm-hmm. churches with predominantly African American membership mm-hmm. versus churches with predominantly white memberships. What so what's that been like in here in the states, um, specifically here in Florida for you in these different different church contexts? So well, that's a that's a very good question, and um, it, let me begin by saying that. I see all human beings as the same. Uh, In fact, that is the same mentality that really uh, served me well uh, to accept the first appointment here in in the United States. Is I recognize the fact that human beings are human beings everywhere. Uh, Human beings are the same. Um, In fact, I go as far as arguing that um, people talk about uh, a black race or white race. Uh, I think those, if we even, ever even think through stuff like that, it's like we are perpetuating the evil that was started a few years ago. In when I say a few years ago, we I, I just mean that we know when all of these things, they, there is the historical data uh, for when all of these things started. Because there is only one race, there is only one human race, and human being. Uh, are the same. So now, having said that, contexts are different. I served uh, a predominantly black church where when I was going there, uh, there were levels of suspicion. We don't know whether we're going to understand him. He's from Nigeria. We don't Uh know whether the culture, what the culture is going to be like. the exposure to Africa uh, for so many of our, you know, people are limited to whatever they have watched on TV because they don't travel that much. I met quite some people that have never traveled out of their zip code, Hmm. you know, so it's difficult for people to to really appreciate uh, somebody coming from a totally different country sometimes because they don't know what it looks like there. And, um, but then it didn't take long. Hmm. It really didn't take long at all. And when they were telling me, we didn't know whether you eat regular food like other human beings. Oh. We don't know whether you go. Oh. <laughs> so, no. so, so, so those things so those things became a joke that we, you know, we just have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And it really we became family. Uh, mm. uh, because I began to respect the the black culture. Mm. here in America, uh, which, by the way, some of it are similar to how I grew up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there are stories from white culture that 
actually look like what the story I could share from me growing up. Hmm. So sometimes the more we think we are different, in fact, sometimes we are the same. Yeah. And, um, but there is the difference in, in personal experience in how some people have received me uh, in a predominantly white space uh, different from the way I was received in a predominantly black space. And that's just a fact. And that's mm-hmm. a fact of the place where this country has been. You know, it, it, it was bad to the point that one time I had to, um, because when when I first came to where I'm, I'm serving, which is a predominantly white context, uh, I felt really, truly welcomed. I felt truly, you know, uh, part of. But then individuals that are starting to approach me in a different way. Uh, I had to speak to one man because he came into my office, ordering me in around, talking to me like a little boy, and, and just wasn't showing me any respect at all. It got so bad that I, I was just listening to him. I didn't want to, you know, say anything to stir up any trouble. So after he said everything and I thought, no, I don't think um, I should just let him go without me having to address this issue. Number one, for my sake, for my own emotional sake, and number two, for his own, because if he goes away, uh, shouting on me, uh, talking down on me, in my own office, he goes away and he will come back and do the same thing. So this, I have to use this as a teachable moment for him. So, and I said to him, I said, sir, I said, um, I need you to sit down. So he sat down. I said, so when you look at me, who do you see? You see an errant boy or do you see your spiritual leader? So at that moment, he saw that we were having some serious moments. So he adjusted himself and he said, yeah, my spiritual leader. I said, so let us keep it at that. Because I'm not your errand boy. Talk to me as a man to man. Talk to me as a human to human. Talk to me with some respect and some dignity. And then we can have conversation. So there are still people in our churches that will will assume that because we all have different skin color, that that shows some level of difference that cannot be reconciled. Hmm. Or something that mine is better than yours and therefore uh, I get to talk to you anyhow. I get to treat you anyhow. I get to do whatever I want to do. Well, that's not true. And uh, I didn't grow up looking at any other human being as superior to me. Hmm. In fact, <laughs> where, I grew, <laughs> where, where I grew up, uh, I, I did not grow up with anybody else that don't look like me. And therefore, the idea of somebody superior really never registered in my mind. So when I walk into any space, whether they are a black, brown, yellow, green, whatever we are, 
I first see people as people. And I try to respect every human being. That's the way I raise my children too. Respect. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they come from. I don't care how much money they have in their bank. Respect everybody. And I don't care how much money they don't have. Hmm. Respect everybody. And once we can establish respect, we can we can get things done. So Simon, the last few years in the United Methodist Church have been definitely not normal. A lot yeah. has happened in the world. I mean, we can acknowledge that a lot has happened in our country mm -hmm. um, uh, as far as the political unrest and, and the uh, racial reckoning um, that we continue to be in. But then mm -hmm. in our world with COVID and new geopolitical realities, war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we just left a region of the world that is mm -hmm. tense. Okay, so a lot has happened in the last few years. And specifically, there's a lot that's happened in the United Methodist Church. Uh, yep. the, the Commission on the Way Forward coming out of General Conference 2016, the yep. passing of the traditional plan uh, yep. out of General Conference 2019, that special session. Um, the there there was the protocol moment going right before, um, right before the um, the pandemic started, and then you know this uh, last year the launch of the Global Methodist Church, and so it's just so many things that's happened. I'm just curious what your experience has been leading in this season of the United Methodist Church. Um, what have been your thoughts? What what where where are you sort of landing in the midst of all of these conversations that we're having about where we are and where we, the United Methodist Church may be going? Yeah. Well, you're right. Uh, a lot has happened uh, in, the, in the middle of all that is uh, COVID that has created all kind of uh, um, unsettling feeling for a lot of people and churches having to to deal with that, and uh, but um, let, let's really talk about the heart of the problem that we have, or the issue that we have as United Methodist Church right now. Um, a few years ago, when the uh, some people told me about WCA, um, my thought at the time was. Uh, because we call it Wesleyan Covenant Association. My thought at the time was this was going to be, you know, like an evangelical arm of the church where we can, you know, really bring back the Wesleyan holiness movement where we can actually do a lot of good in the world, where we can, uh, the spiritual temperature uh, in the United Methodist Church can can be raised. Uh, that was really uh, what interested me. But I soon discovered that this was not only about spirituality. This was more about uh, the issue of uh, sexuality, number one, and number two, 
even in my recent uh, opinion, the, it has really morphed into something totally different. Uh, because as I see people fight over property, as I see people fight, you know, take uh, the other, another Christian to court, uh, I, I think it has morphed into something different. Um, my where i stand personally is regardless of where people are on the issue of um, homosexuality i think at the heart of all this conversation are human beings human beings that like me um, want to be happy human beings like me who want to uh, live their life to, to the fullest. Just like Jesus said that I, I come to uh, give you life and life more abundantly. And where people cannot live uh, the fullness of their life, I don't understand how that will honor and glorify God. Now, I believe that when jesus was leaving jesus commissioned the believers and he said go and be witnesses of me witnesses are not judges and people want to sit on the judgment bench hmm. to determine who goes to heaven who goes to hell hmm. <laughs> Uh, and uh, that is not our job, really. Hmm. Our job is to be witnesses. Our job is to tell, and, and the witness in the law courts, you don't tell other people's story. You tell your own story. You tell what you have seen, what you have heard, what you have tasted, what you have touched, what you have experienced. That's exactly how John, uh, the disciple, and Peter, in both of their books, that's how they describe their experience, what we have seen, what we have touched, what we have witnessed, what we have experienced. That is what I bring to you, all right? Mm -hmm. So it, it is not to, uh, we engage this theological, deep theological divide uh, as if this is the first time in Christian history where we have theological um, division. Mm -hmm. And if we have not learned anything from the past, then we've not learned anything. Mm. Because all the divisions that have created so many denominations that we have today, those divisions are still there. And some of those things, if I begin to peel them, they, they are so lovable, they are so juvenile, that today we look at them and we say, the church split over that. The same kind of thing is happening. They start to talk about, you know, we, the issue of uh, marriage and stuff like that. United Methodist Church says, we, all we want is to have a big thing. Nobody's going to force you against your conscience to do anything. To me, that is a more reasonable and measured approach. Yeah. 
Yeah. And when it comes to the point of, no, we just can't be in the same denomination. Then I started to, I started to, you know, put my uh, heart on the heart of suspicion. Hmm. What's what's exactly going on here? And I hear people talk about, you know, the building, the property, how much money and stuff like that. Then I noticed the devil had actually stepped in because love of money oh. is the root of all evil. And, and I believe that there is something about love of money in this whole thing that has really graduated way beyond the issue of human sexuality. Because at the end of the day, who doesn't have someone they know someone they admire, someone they cherish, who is either gay, lesbian, you know, something. Mm -hmm. If we do, do, do you for a minute think that anyone will want harm for any of these people? Right. I don't think, I don't think people in GMC want harm for any of these people. I certainly know that people in UMC don't want harm for anyone of these people mm -hmm. and therefore what is it it's it's all about power it's all about money which i i have to say Simon, it is it is powerful because of the your story like if, yes. if, it'd be one thing if i was talking to another <laughs> united methodist from florida <laughs> you know border race and gainesville kind of thing but we've had this conversation about how affluence changes how we get into the building. Mm -hmm. We've we've had this conversation even about this, these ideas about devotion to church and 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 starting the day and ending the day. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it, you saying this means something. And I I think we talked about this while we were overseas. But just the ways that even the categories mm -hmm. don't work. Um, the mm -hmm. traditionalist, centrist, like we've used them and they do work for certain groups. But I, I'm finding that there are groups that to call someone a traditionalist isn't really getting to the conversation. No, no. Right? I, yeah. Yeah. No, it's not because, you know, sometimes those labels are, are, are doing a lot more damage in terms of divisions that, that we get to a point that it's either black or white you are mm. either traditionalist or or progressive or you know you are either this or that you are either you know uh conservative or you are liberal you are either i mean all those things and there is no gray area mm. there is no time we think and sit down and say wait a minute uh, we we with this uh, issue of labeling and all the ideologies, at the heart of it, there is a human life. There are human beings that you've been you're talking about here. Hmm. And all that can re-echo in my mind, which I don't know, I, it wasn't really truly, to be honest, it wasn't my family's story. But I could imagine people whose story were um you know grand great grandparents who were slaves and 
the people who are in support of slavery saying, yeah, that is God's will for them to be slaves. And the people who are against slavery say, no, it is not God's will for them to be slaves. I'm kind of hearing all that all over again, you know, and forgetting that the people you're talking about are actually human beings like you. Mm. Mm. And it's, it is so arrogant for us to think we determine the life that somebody else will live. Yeah. And, and I just, and, and my frustration is church is the last place when it's supposed to be the first place, but it's always the last place to recognize that discrimination of any sort is evil. Hmm. I mean, the church was one of the last places where the issue of slavery was, you know, settled. Mm -hmm. uh, the church is one of the last places where women are allowed to be in power. Hmm. I mean, it, it, it's, it's so frustrating that the church is always the last of anything. And I ask some people, when you climb into the airline and you want to fly, <laughs> how many times have you stepped into the cockpit and say, hey, pilot, uh, are you gay, straight? You know, <laughs> but before you fly my plane, uh, <laughs> you don't do that. I mean, all you care about is, do you know what you are doing? Yeah. I want you to fly my plane safe. I want to get there safe. So we, we, we do all these things and we talk about these things and we're dividing the church and making mockery of the old church because of division over things that are that we can always all look at each other and say we are still brothers and sisters. Yeah. I may not fully agree with your way of thinking this, but you're still my brother. Yeah. I may not fully embrace your teaching on this, but you are still my brother. You are still my sister. Yeah. All right. So I, I don't understand. Uh, so for me, that is the level at which I'm operating. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm not going anywhere. That's why I'm, why I'm remaining a United Methodist. Because I know the kingdom that Jesus came here to promote is a kingdom that is for all. Simon, thank you for that. Thank you for that articulation. And I, I think it's powerful for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is, is because of the particular story you bring to the table. Mm -hmm. um, your story is a, a young Nigerian boy who, like most of us in ministry, was not saying yes to ministry on day one. Mm -hmm. But we found ourselves, our hearts strangely warmed. We found ourselves offering who we are to God and, and knowing in some respects, and I imagine you knew this as you came into the States, that there would be people who would hesitate to receive all that we are because mm -hmm. of very specific details. Mm -hmm. So with that, I, I want to segue, and it may not be the neatest one, but it's, it's kind of in this conversation about the future of the UNC. Because one of the things, at least, that I've observed as I've kind of looked at our history is it's, it's, it is the emergence of 
the non-U.S. United Methodist. Mm-hmm. And that, that voice, that leadership that is often a part of the group that's usually sitting on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Other people make decisions. And and been watching that, that emergence and grateful for it. Mm-hmm. And yet I also realize that we in the United States, even those of us who would say that we are open to the diversity of the church, the global diversity of the church, mm-hmm. we have not easily let go of the microphone. Mm-hmm. And and um, and so I think we've had these moments where um, we are having to learn how to listen to our siblings outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, and not asking you to speak for all United Methodists who originate on the mm-hmm. African continent, by no means, and I know they wouldn't let you do it anyway. Um, <laughs> our cousins are going to speak for themselves. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, what, from your perspective, from your experience, what is what are some things that we in the United States, we United Methodists in the United States, really need to like take a step back and and listen to our siblings particularly from the african continent uh who are united methodists i'm, I'm curious if there are things that they're gifts mm-hmm. that we have yet to receive because we won't get out of the center of the story a little bit yeah yeah well uh, <clears throat> I, I think the first thing is to uh, really have a little bit more focus on the spirituality of uh, of, of of the gospel, uh, rather than um, focusing our energy on the mundane. In fact, um, I was preaching at our church yesterday, and looking at the transfiguration of Jesus, uh, and you know the response of uh, Peter, which seems to me like the response that you find in a lot of Western world. Oh, it's so cool here. It's so good. <laughs> Can we just make three things, you know, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So forget about the rest of the people. Just let us have good time here. You know, the mentality of the, the, the consumer mentality, you know, all about, you know, the, the state lighting, the, you know, we focus our energy on things that really don't feed the soul. And if we will actually get a church to be church, where we create environment of fellowship, all right, um, koinonia, where, where we, we, we make fellowship something integral, something that is open, some where people feel the joy in fact in the early church the bible says they were breaking bread they were eating from house to house they were having fun and they experienced peace among themselves and guess what everybody that were looking at them say i want to be among those people i want to be like them they created an environment of fellowship that was welcoming that was really real genuine you know, it's not like when you say, well, everybody is welcome, but not so much. You know, th- there is still that element in in our in our church, uh, in our denomination, uh, I want to say, 
that yes, we we have open door, open heart, but not for everyone. Right. So when we are truly genuine, uh, koinonia has to be real. That when people come in, regardless of whether you come from Brazil, you come from uh, Ethiopia, you come from Nigeria, you come from uh, Uganda, you come from anywhere, you can feel part. Mm. You can feel the real genuine fellowship. Yeah. And the second is the gospel, the charisma, mm-hmm. you know, where we can truly, down to heart, focus on the word and get people to, you know, and this really go to the heart even of our of our pastors. There are a lot of different types of preaching that people uh, expound, and we have a lot of biblical illiterates in in our denomination. That people don't know the Bible. Yeah. Why? Because you know the preacher. We we subscribe to this form of preaching where you use one scripture, and that one scripture you barely even read it, and you just talk for 20, 25 minutes, and people say, "Oh, that was good," but you call them and say, "What did he say?" They don't know. It was just good. Hmm. And. You open to third John. Somebody asks, <laughs> <laughs> somebody asks, sometimes we say, How many Johns do you have in the Bible? <laughs> so, open to third John, they don't know where it is. Hmm. Children, we're raising children that don't even know when you talk of Jeremiah, they say, Oh, is that one of the celebrities? I don't, I, I can't remember. They don't even know it's in the Bible. Yeah. And so, our preaching must really focus people back into the word of God because the, the, the written word is pointing us to the living word. Mm-hmm. And until we begin to focus, our, our preaching is really, you know, a lot of people are going into other churches. Where are they doing exactly what I'm talking about? Right. Okay. And and the third thing is is you know, our service, which we have been really good at. We are actually much better than the only church that I can say um, can compete in, in that will be Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, United Methodists, in terms of uh, diaconia, in terms of service, we've put a lot of our energy in that. That's good. Don't don't relent. Continue to, 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 to do the service, but then the way we we preach the gospel there is a church that i i i just wandered myself into it here's the story it's funny i did not know time change in the in america when i first came oh wow so i was standing waiting for other group uh because at the time i didn't have a car you know so i ride with the undergraduate student uh from wake forest so we go to a united methodist church together and that sunday time changed i did not know time changed i got there at the same time we normally would get there because i would give myself some time so i'm not late at all and uh, i waited and waited and nobody showed up and i was thinking did i miss something maybe they're not going to have church today anyway i decided i'm just going to go down to these assemblies of god church so i wandered there and that was where i met my adopted parent that i told you uh, earlier 
These people didn't know me from anywhere, but guess what they did? They invited me to sit with them. The United Methodist Church that I went in my first experience, nobody sat beside me. Even when it was cold, really chilly, and you know, for somebody coming from Nigeria, <laughs> I, I never knew it was going to get that cold. Yeah. And I walked, I walked almost two miles to the church. Hmm. And I asked the pastor, can somebody give me a ride? And right in front of me, people were rejecting me. And the honest truth is this, I was the only black thing that in that, in that, in that church. Wow. Yet, nobody could give me a ride just to my apartment. And I'm thinking, if anyone is going that direction, what would take you? I, I, I've been doing that for years, even as a pastor in Nigeria, when I have foreigners come in. Mm-hmm. And every, they, he asked the first couple, they rejected me. The second couple rejected me. I didn't wait for the third one because it was just looking like everybody was just into their own world. And nobody would. And then I remember nobody even wanted to sit on the same pew with me in the church. Mm-hmm. I got to these assemblies of God. The first time I got uh, this couple saw me, they drove erratically so they can get to me first mm. and they invited me to sit and sandwich me in between the two of them and oh. guess what they immediately introduced me to the pastor who i have never ever met in my entire life but he in front of almost five thousand people took time to introduce me as a pastor from nigeria and asked me to pray for him before he preached how about that wow and you look in that church there were more than 60 different countries represented in that church Hmm. because they find fellowship there so i think a lot of our local churches need retraining Hmm. to know how to welcome people from the caribbeans people from all over because people we cannot assume that people's minds are closed yes we have churches disaffiliating well what i don't think is a good thing for churches to be disaffiliating uh, the truth is we i can't i don't have power to stop that all right but what i can encourage is for those churches that that are uh, standing strong to say you know what we want to represent Christ. We want to really just be a witness for the kingdom. I think we need to a rethinking, a reorientation, so that we know that our church is not just our church. Our church is our church. It's for church for all nations, for all people, for all cultures. And when they come, don't let them just sit in the back. When you treat people like people, they will be part of the ministry. They will do, you know, what what God has called us to do. So, if if I have anything for the future of uh, the United Methodist Church, I think we have a chance now to be church, hmm. to be church, to really focus on creating a sweet, welcoming fellowship for all people, and to focus our energy on preaching the good news of Jesus Christ 
and really reorienting our people to take the Bible seriously, to focus on the word of God and continue, you know, what we have already been doing in terms of service. I think if we can focus on those, we have a bright future. I, I honestly feel energized about the future of United Methodists. Crazy to say something like that, right? But I am honestly very energized by um, the future of the United Methodist Church. Simon, I can't thank you enough for uh, just all that you've shared. Um, so grateful, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. <laughs> Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bar of the Conference is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time.